My deep appreciation of theater history was instilled in me by Tom Empey, a college mentor to me and hundreds of others. While teaching Greek theater terms, he would grab the fabric of his slacks and say, You see these pants? Euripides, Eumenides making light of content that could be considered rather dry and stuffy while still maintaining respect for the art, which is what I want to do with this podcast. For each episode, I invite a guest from the many paths my theater career has taken me down. I give my guests no idea what we'll be talking about, but they know we're going to find an outrageous story about theater history and perhaps get a better understanding about why we're still doing it after all these years. So welcome to Euripides Humanities, and I am your host, Aaron Odom. My faithful Eumenidites, this is Aaron Odom from Trident Theater in Sheridan, Wyoming, bringing to you another episode of Euripides, Eumenides, a theater history podcast. Today is the second in a two-part series I've titled To Stream or Not to Stream, as promised two weeks ago. But before I jump into the episode today, I've been enjoying acknowledging where I'm seeing some new downloads. So, hello to New York State and Texas. Glad to know this show is picking up steam there. Maybe all my shoutouts to Broadway and my shout out to Houston as a valid theater city in the last episode paid back to me on a karmic level. Who knows? I'm just glad you're here. As far as new countries, hello to Japan and Peru. Glad to have you with us too. And oh, hey, a quick story before we get to today's episode. I have a lifelong friend who lives in Vienna, and he wrote me the other day to let me know that he and his wife were planning to attend Rebecca the Musical. Longtime fans of the show know that my episode covering that show has been my most downloaded episode to date, so I guess there's absolutely an audience thirsting for more on that show. But my friend reported that he was utterly blown away by the production, not only because it was his first time seeing a musical live, but also because the scenic design was just breathtaking. Also, he wanted me to know that whoever played Mrs. Danvers was utterly phenomenal. So, my Rebecca Files, sounds like your holy grail may currently be in Austria. <laughs> but okay, enough about past episodes. Let's get to this one. If you haven't listened to episode 56, which is the first half of this conversation, I would highly recommend going back and listening to that. But... In this episode, we jump right in where we left off last time with a pros and cons list of the values of streaming theater. My guest is the artistic director of New Normal Rep, a totally virtual theater company. Jack Canfora is an award-winning playwright and has been around the theater world for quite some time. I, I, I Look, I truly enjoyed this conversation with Jack about just what virtual theater can be and how it can support the live theater industry. And Oh, incidentally, in the show notes, there are links to several of Jack's works with New Normal Rep, including the episodic drama Step 9. But also, Euripides Humanities listeners will find exclusive access to Jack's virtual play Jericho in the show notes. It's pretty ingenious stuff. I highly recommend giving uh, New Normal Rep's work some of your time. But without further ado, here is the second part of To Stream 
or not to stream. So that is a great segue into the pros and cons of streaming theater. <laughs> okay. And there we are. Issue number one, accessibility. I mean, it, it, yeah. I mean, it's, you just need internet. So you said, um, yes, exactly. You need the internet and you know, uh, it's, it's funny to me how, uh, how cinema has, kind of started to lose people's interest as far as going to the theater and seeing something mm-hmm. on the big screen. People mm-hmm. will take their phones and they'll watch an entire series on them on the mm-hmm. bus or, you know, uh, getting ready for bed at night. They'll just sit there and watch something. And mm-hmm. and that's, that's how they do it. So it's mm-hmm. accessible. Here's the next one. It's economically viable. Yes. I mean, I love these streaming services that are doing this now. You know, my first trip to, New York city was in 2019 and I got to see the prom on Broadway. Mm-hmm. wasn't favorite thing I ever saw, but I got to see it. Mm-hmm. And then we find out that Netflix has optioned it and they're going to do their version of it with none of the people that I saw on stage. Oh no. Yeah. And I still have not watched that on Netflix, even though there's still kind of an interest in, in doing so I did enjoy the play, but it's, you know, yeah. definitely dated. Well, I mean, I, I I can tell you this as someone who um, before COVID I had a at a play option uh, for Broadway and um, and then COVID hit and uh, but um, it was it was a uh, given that you needed stars. Yes. You needed, you yeah. Needed stars. And that was for Broadway. Now, when you take it from Broadway to the movies or you know streaming, doubly so. And and, and that's not necessarily anything terribly. I mean, you know, just ask Julie Andrews, right? <laughs> Who, uh, you know, was not cast in the movie of My Fair Lady. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a tale. Uh, moving to the movies or streaming, you know, TV, that's always been the case. It's now at the point where you can, it's very hard. It's not impossible, but it's very hard for a play that's done well regionally to uh, move the cast to Broadway or even off Broadway at this point. You'll they'll say well, you, need to, you need some names. You need some names. Ah, well, and that does seem to be the gimmick right now. And I'll kind of get into that a little bit later. Um, but yeah, yeah, I can see that. And you know, we talked about that on my episode on K-pop, uh, where you do just have this string of producers that don't think a play can survive on its own anymore. They have to have a star with it. You're not necessarily wrong. And yeah. you're not necessarily wrong. And but it's self-perpetuating. And yes. one of the things that you mentioned earlier that's very true is that bulk of uh, Broadway audiences are tourists. And so they're yes. coming in and they're going to see maybe three shows if they're dedicated theater people. Maybe they'll see three or shows. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they're going to see like, you know, a musical or something, maybe two musicals. Maybe they'll see one regular, you know, so-called like play, dramatic play. Or yeah. Comedy. And is it going to be something that, oh, it's gotten nice reviews or or oh my gosh, um, you know, um, the guy from uh, Two and a Half, uh, not Two and a Half Men, the, the guy from, um, oh, I can't think of the show now. Um, the, uh, the the scientist, the physics, this, he's tremendous. Oh, Jim, Jim Parsons. Jim Parsons, thank you. You know, who, who by the way, is an excellent actor, but a uh, stage actor, but, you know, they're going to see the thing with Jim Parsons. Yeah, be what cool. was it? Was it uh, Harvey? 
Uh, Harvey, and then there's something else. He's been in a couple of things. He was in the boys in yeah. the band. Oh, uh, that's it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. And, and big, the only big... reason to play like the boys in the band, which for people who don't know, is was a very um, important play and in, in, in sort of transgressive and groundbreaking at the time, which is, I believe, oh, in the yeah. 60s. Um, uh, it was written about a group of, of gay men. Uh, mm -hmm. so that act itself is very transgressive. Um, mm -hmm. and uh, and today, uh, when it was out or a couple of years ago, it was um considered problematic because in the evolution of our cultural uh understanding and acceptance, that some people um found some of these tropes that these characters sort of leaned into to be a little problematic and, and offensive. But the man was writing what his world was like then, yeah. Um, but the only way that play gets made is jim parsons says i want to do this play yep um and it, and, it, and it gets done so if you don't if you don't have a play uh with stars you don't you don't get it uh i mean there are exceptions to this if a play was like one of pulitzer for example off broadway right you know and they, you know and like and, you know they could say well we're going to bring this play that's been lauded uh, you know, in, in, in an extreme way to the stage because we don't want to screw anything up, right? Yeah. So sometimes the cachet of the awards the play is as one will will make up for it, but that's very much the exception and not the rule. But even that, I think, I think there is, as we've been suggesting a few times through throughout this uh, chat, is if you give somebody the idea that it is possible for you to sit in this house one day. They're going to go, you know, I mean, I'm from Sheridan, Wyoming, and the number of people who are Denver Broncos fans in this town is mm -hmm. outstanding. And some of them have even been able to go the five hour distance to go watch them in their home stadium. And that is their trip to Mecca, you know, right? <laughs> so I, I think even without big names you have kids who are going to be like oh my god i can't wait to uh, go to the lunt fontaine or oh my god i can't uh wait to see the the lincoln square uh, uh fountains that's their disneyland it's just, it's just exposing that telling people that these things exist and yeah. um and by the way it's aren't these great and aren't and don't these provide something different not better uh at all uh than television or film but something different speak to yeah. a, a a different need and like i was talking early on uh i the thing to me one of the things that was a playwright that thrilled me is that online theater uh really play you know gives language primacy uh and yes. uh, just like in, in th that's one way plays and uh, online theater are very much similar uh as they tend to rely far more heavily on language than television which f relies far more heavily on language than than modern movies which have you know, where dialogue is literally a necessary evil. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that being said, I think, I, I think, look, I'm just going to go ahead and flat out say it. Both you and I obviously seem to have a slant for, yes, let's keep this streaming theater going because we have the capability and what can it do but help the industry? Well, I do have to say it. And like I said, I'm going to be devil's advocate here just a little oh, cool. bit. We got to talk about the cons just a little bit. I mean, oh, cool. Let's talk about producers and investors. This is show business. After all, we talked about the whole union situation. Right. I heard of one theater that I'm going to talk about a little bit later, the Rattlestick Theater in New oh, yeah. York, uh, 99 Seat House. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
with their equity contract, they say you can do a performance for up to 99 people per night. Mm-hmm. They have a commitment now to continuing this hybrid theater situation where some seats will be streaming, some seats will be uh, in person. So what they have had to do is, let's say they want to offer 20 streaming tickets per performance. That means instead of 99 tickets in the house, they can only sell 79. Yeah, but that to me seems, and, and I agree with you, that's silly. And uh, but, but that's a silly rule. That's not streaming theater I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think there there's something that the unions can come up with. I mean, it's always funny to me in some ways when, uh, uh, you know, uh, professional sports uh, athletes will go on strike and they're like, I was contracted to get $114 million this year and I'm only getting 112. And that yeah. is highway robbery. And we're all going, just get out there and play. <laughs> but but i mean for for actors though you know i mean it's awesome to get paid as an actor sometimes when you're starting out you don't get paid a lot and so those those roles those important paid roles become more and more important and if you find out that you could have access to a lot more money because now there is an influx of new uh patrons uh, i think there's i think there's a middle ground that could be reached yeah, and everyone wins. And by the way, unless you're a major star like a Patty Lapone or uh, or Jim Parsons or, or what have you, yeah, even if you're lucky enough to be a a, a, a working actor on Broadway and off Broadway, which by the way is you know incredibly rare, Whew. you're not making a lot of money. No, I mean you're you're not getting rich. So it's not it's not like say football or baseball where they have all these remarkably um, almost like comically absurd contracts right i mean i mean movies and tv people make a, a good living very very hard to make a living in theater uh yeah. even even if you're even if you're making it in theater it's hard to make a good good living in theater right um, right yeah. which i mean in some cases kind of justifies the higher price of a broadway ticket uh you know you can't see this type of show anywhere else on earth and we have this level of talent but at the same time yeah but it, it it creates a problem, you know. In the in the forties and fifties, you know, school teachers, clerks, people went to the theater. They were, like yep. in New York, you know. And yep. now, even in New York, it's like I can't afford to go see these plays. Yeah, um, right. They're prohibitively expensive, and mm-hmm. um, and they're just yes, <clears throat> it's the it, it's the immediate profit, but it's not investing in theater as an art and as a cultural tool and as a business practice you know, uh, generationally, yeah. uh, because it's, it's just not, you know, and I, I think in, in death of a salesman, I think Arthur Miller made the cover of time magazine in 1949. Yeah. You know, playwright's going to make the cover of time magazine <laughs> way, uh, unless they've, you know, gone on a killing spree. They're not going to right. do it. Um, it's and you know, and that's fine. Right. I mean, I, if you go into playwriting, to want to be rich and famous, you need help. You need an intervention, right? It's, you know, um, in, in the worst way possible. And choosing to be a playwright in America is a little bit like moving to Kenya because you really want to be an ice skater, you know? And, <laughs> it's, and But it, what happens is, and this is where I think online theater can help. Yeah. And, and I'm beating this, you know, this drum to death here. But, you know, <laughs> you've got to expose people to the fact that theater exists yes. and you're not going to see uh, the bloom uh, of that 
for several years. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's become this incredibly elitist, self-perpetuating thing. There's um, a great TV sh- series. If if you are a fan of, of theater or Shakespeare theater, there's a great Canadian series called mm. Slings. Slings and Arrows, yeah. Basically uh, parodies uh, or is, is supposed to be like the uh, Stratford Festival in Ontario, um, uh, Canada. And it's a great series. And at one point, one character says disdainfully to another character, he says, more people listen to radio than go to the theater. Ew. And nobody listens to radio. And as a playwright, that stabs me in the heart, but I also think it's funny because it's true. And so, you know, I, and, and now, and they're talking about a particular, they're not talking about big musicals necessarily. They're talking no. about, but they're talking about like drama. And it's, uh, it's very rare that um, a drama, and like Doubt, for example, great play, turned mm-hmm. into a big movie. Um, but for example, uh, August Osage County, which is generally considered one of the great American plays of the century, the mm-hmm. movie was not well received. And Tracy Letts, who wrote the screenplay, Tracy Letts basically disassociated himself from the movie. <gasps> and very little has changed. Uh, oh. that it was, uh, it just, it just didn't translate. For yeah. Of- yeah. And that, and that can happen. Y- you know, y- you, you bring that up because as I was, as I was w- watching some of your stuff and listening to step nine, uh, did you ever catch uh, homecoming? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Brilliant as a podcast. And then they mm-hmm. adapted it to a TV series. Julia Roberts is in it. And I started to watch that and I went, this is not the same experience. This is just not. And I can see if people pick this up from the pilot episode of the TV show and had no idea about the podcast, they'd watch this and they'd think that's the superior product. And then they go listen to the podcast and go, yep, this just doesn't do it for me. Right. <laughs> it's kind of interesting what medium you pick. Right. It is. And, you know, the whole book is better than the movie thing. And there are you know, notable exceptions to that. But, but as a rule, that's very true of the reasons you were talking about is that, you know, you know, and, but so much of that depends too. If you've read the book first, mm-hmm. you almost invariably think the book is better than the movie, but right. um, it almost, it almost ruins the chance of you really enjoying the movie. And oftentimes, right. Ah, yes. Um, uh, it's in, so, you know, now I'm like sputtering, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, what I would say to this, this argument, and, and I, I think it's a fascinating argument, but I don't, I don't even see it as an argument because I will um, push back uh, to the devil's advocate and say that on a certain level, I fundamentally, with great respect, reject the premise. Mm. And here's why. Uh, Got very quiet. Uh, Here's why. (laughs) Because in some way, I think they're being set up as an either or. Yes. And they're not. No. uh, they're really not, and they're not the same thing. And even someone like myself, who's a uh, an advocate for, for streaming theater and doesn't think it's going to go away, and don't, and I don't think it should go away. Nah. it's not the same thing as being in a theater. I mean, no. I I love this company. I love the work we're doing. I love to. I I hope we continue to be able to do it. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't long to have a play of mine produced in the theater again. That doesn't right. mean the act- company don't want to do that other thing too uh perform in the theater of course they do it's not the same thing no i think that just like listening to a radio broadcast uh, i'll beat this metaphor to death too um 
listening to a radio broadcast of a baseball game is the same thing as being in the park. One uh-huh. is necessarily better than the other. I mean, on the balance, I would choose being in the ballpark. But I have a friend of mine who's a huge baseball fan, and he often won't watch it on TV. He prefers listening to it on the radio. Um, oh, now that's interesting. It's interesting. Um, I mean, I think he's, he's the only person I've ever heard who does that. But, <laughs> um, but it's interesting, too, right? Because I, I, all I'm saying is that these things will feed and create an appetite for theater. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there are things that online theater can do that approximates the theatrical experience better than television or movies. Yes, um, yes, and, and primarily ah. like in the, in the scene, the intimacy. Again, it's not a communal experience, but there's a real intimacy, and in like it's not literally a dialogue, obviously. But when you're looking at a character, looking at you, mm-hmm. not in a direct address. But in a uh, a dialogue with someone else, you feel you're in the middle of that scene, and that's a unique uh, that's a unique experience. And and even to that point, uh, going back to what I was saying about Maria Bamford doing a whole stand up set and just for her parents, mm-hmm. in in a streaming theater situation, you get to be the you get to have the experience of feeling like you know the uh, royalty who has called a troop together just for his or her enjoyment. You know, bring the entire troupe and they are going to do the entire performance just for me. You get that experience right now. Right. Which, by the way, how theater in England, theater in England, I mean, Shakespeare basically made a lot of his bread and butter on that, right? Yep. Yep. So, okay. So uh, I I think we, we kind of are on the same page here, but I do have to mention a couple other things that I think are kind of unfortunate uh, dismissals of uh, streaming theater. Uh, one of them, honestly, throughout the pandemic, while it started uh, pretty hot and heavy because people wanted to consume theater, uh, by the end of the pandemic, like mid-2021 to late-2021, as things started to open up, you have theaters pretty much saying that not a huge part of the box office came from streaming stuff and therefore dismissing it. But right. you can't. But you also cannot deny that it increased their profit, right? Um, <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, but I here's the thing. One of the reasons we started, um, my friends and I started New Normal Rep, was that I remember very specifically watching the um, the uh, live zooming uh, performance of the from the original cast doing. Uh, speaking of William Goldman, doing the Princess Bride, <laughs> and it was great fun because my god oh god yes screenplay and all these actors doing it but the fact of the matter was brilliant screenplay amazing actors but the production was amateurish because yeah. no one knew what they were doing you know and it's no one's <laughs> fault no one knew what they were doing. um and so theater companies would either do zoom readings uh-huh. right or invite who didn't have zoom fatigue by then and um or they would show plays videos of plays that were recorded but not meant to be streamed yes whereas i think one of the things we you know one of the things that motivated us we said there's obviously huge disadvantages to this but there's got to be some advantages too and there's got to be a way of figuring out a way of presenting these things online that again it's not a it's not the theater but it's a theatrical experience Yes. And, yes. And if you can get that, and there's got to be a way of doing that. And I think that we—I'm not saying we've perfected it by any means, but but I think we've come 
close to cracking that nut a little bit. Yes, I agree. I agree. And I, the only other con that I can really think of in this situation is purely technical hmm. in that in a lot of more rural areas of the country where you might find those people who need this stuff, you don't have as big a broadband. So you have, uh, I found this great quote, uh, John Cariani, who wrote Almost Maine, uh, which is performed everywhere. It's such a huge hit, was very similar to John Patrick Shanley and wanted his plays to be seen in, in any way they could be. But when this hiccup in availability came up, he had this to say, quote, I changed my position and asked people who wanted to do my plays to make every effort to live stream but to record and stream at a later date and time if that was the better option. And I have said it on this program many times, we are really currently in an on-demand culture. You know, uh, I mean, if I, if I can make it available to myself, okay. You know, I mean, we're only, what, 20 years out from TiVo, okay? So people were used to that. Record my thing. I'll watch it when I get home. Well, but I mean, here's the thing. I, 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 we totally agree. And we just, and like our plays were not live streamed. We yeah. recorded mm-hmm. we, for that very reason, for that very reason, we recorded them. Um, and it's, and yeah, it, it takes it one step further from a live performance, but what we tried to do as much as possible, um, actually along the equity lines, not just because they are equity lines. Cause we, we, we shot it. Um, we'd shoot each scene and then we'd stop, but we do it in sequence. Um, you know, if a take went wrong, obviously we'd go back, but very much that was kept to a minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, and in step nine, in fact, we, you know, had we known what we were doing, we wouldn't have done it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, right. we, we booked, um, uh, our, our, we recorded all together, which was a lot of fun for us because some of us had been in the theater company for two years and had never met physically before <laughs> but um we recorded it from one to nine actually we finished with 15 minutes to spare and Ooh. um you know and it was great because and helpful that we had a lot of theater actors right so they're used to sort of giving a performance but yeah it was boom 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 and so even though it was recorded once or twice we went back because there's a technical problem or the director thought mm, this isn't the way exactly i want it it was for the most part like a live performance to to the shock and discomfort of some of the actors, right? Because our, our director, mm-hmm. Alan Handley, who directed it brilliantly, she would say, okay, great, we got it. And the actress said, no, 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 no. I was just warming up. That that wasn't my <laughs> and, uh And Eleanor, to her credit, said, no, that that was good. That lands. And I, you, you know, and, and it's, so these were actors who were trained professionals obviously and very talented professionals but they were saying okay you know they weren't they weren't thinking okay i'm giving my performance now they were just yeah. kind of going through it and because of that i think it actually enhanced the performances yeah yeah what a question right where should virtual theater stand in the theater industry what is its place We dive a lot more into it in the second half of this episode, including a good discussion on is this actually theater if it's not performed live? Frankly, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Go ahead and follow Trident and Euripides Humanities on Instagram and shoot me a DM or go to tridenttheater.com and send me a message through our contact us form. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic and frankly, anything else you'd like to say about the world of theater. And thanks again for listening. And if you'd be so kind, go ahead and give us a rating or review 
wherever you're listening. It really does help the show out. And speaking of the show, it must go on. So here's the conclusion of to stream or not to stream. Well, okay. So I've talked about pros and cons on both sides. I want to kind of take a tangent here just real quick. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, I've, I've been very fascinated by the Korean theater economy just because I had no idea it really existed. And they didn't really have to shut down during COVID. Yeah. Okay. They, I didn't know anything about they did, they did a bunch of advanced, like, okay, Hey, look, this thing is serious. Everybody, not like America, everybody got on the same page and they went, yep, this is serious. Uh, we'll go ahead and take all the precautions we could. And um, I mean, their numbers just, they had some spikes, but they went down significantly much quicker than we did here in America. But the structure of their theater economy is so much more interesting. And I think we could uh, take some take some notes from this and do more of what you're suggesting, make things more accessible and pique audiences' interest in advancing that tourist dollar a little bit further. Okay. So what they do in Korea is they don't try to book a show for the possibility of an unlimited run. You know, right. they don't look and say, we're going to put a phantom here and it's going to be here for the next 35 years. They book it for a finite amount of time. Mm -hmm. If you don't see it when we have that booked, you don't see it. But we'll probably bring it back around again sometime within the next three to five years. Hmm. So if you didn't see it, then we're going to be putting it on again or somebody's going to be putting it on again. And then they have several plays like that running in rep at the same time. So, hmm. I mean, this this might already be happening to, to some extent, but I, I just heard about this today. The Kennedy Center, <laughs> uh, they announced Spamalot. They're going to be <laughs> running a Spamalot playing May 12th through the 21st only. But it's going to feature Broadway favorites Alex Brightman, James Monroe Iglehart, and Rob McClure. Mm -hmm. So you have these huge names that just keep this interest in this play that ran on Broadway for a long time, has had incredible success in tours. I've seen it on tour. But they're just saying, hey, remember this little piece again? Wouldn't that be fun to get to Broadway again sometime? And then mm -hmm. maybe we'll do it for a little splash and some people can come see it. And that will be their Broadway experience. Right. Yeah. I mean, there is some of that um, going on. I mean, really what you're right, what the major Broadway houses want to do is they want to find the next Hamilton or the next Book of Mormon that runs, you know, or Chicago where it runs forever. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, like for example, if you had a play with major stars predicated on that, yeah. what they would do is these major stars aren't going to sign on for an unlimited run. They're going to sign mm -hmm. on for a 12 to 16 week run, and that includes rehearsals. Yeah. Um, and so, and if the, sometimes the show is incredibly uh, successful, they'll say, well, maybe we'll bring someone else in. But oftentimes mm -hmm. it's just run. And any nonprofit theater, um, and there are a lot of nonprofit theaters, uh, not on Broadway, but in off-Broadway yeah. theaters, like well, Lincoln Center, for example, is a nonprofit. Yeah. Um, they will have, um, they will have plays and they will have discrete limited runs. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think those are a good idea. What we don't have much of, and certainly not in New York that I'm aware of. And by the way, I'm not I'm not like an expert on this. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I think that's become clear. <laughs> but I, think, <laughs> I don't claim um, to be an expert on anything. I found all this shit on the internet. <laughs> yeah, um, but and therefore it must be true. But uh, I would say that um, 
that what we don't have and what seems to be happening in, in Korean theater is repertory companies. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, those have really gone, you know, uh, you know, the way of the dodo. And of course we call ourselves new normal rep. And really that's kind of what we, we have a repertory company. Yes. Okay. What we, would, what we would like to do, which for people who, who, who are not sure what that means, um, it basically means like a, a group of uh, like a, like a, a consistent stable of actors, which by mm-hmm. the way, the, the place you should keep actors in um, <laughs> um group of actors uh directors you know uh, writers artists uh, and of course you bring new people in and bring you know bring in fresh fresh blood but there's a core there that um works together and mm-hmm. rep companies traditionally would do and like Summerstock is a great example of this yeah where, yeah yeah and shakespeare uh you know shakespeare's company was a repertory company and that they'd be doing one play in the day they'd be rehearsing another play uh in mm-hmm. that morning and then they'd sometimes do uh later when they had evening performances in, in the uh in blackfriars they would they would do a third play so they'd be doing yeah. like so they in a in in a week they would do and up in Stratford they do this a lot. Uh, yeah. the, uh, they will do plays in repertory for the summer. So they'll do maybe twenty performances of a play spread out over forty five days, and, and it's mm-hmm. a lot of the actors and a lot of crossover companies. And so they'll be doing three plays at once. The actors will be doing three plays, you know. And on Wednesday they'll do the Hamlet, and this other day they'll do something else. I love that idea, and I think that's exciting for audiences. Yeah, yeah, and then and then. You know, I mean, <laughs> you can look at the streaming wars right now. I don't think you have anybody. I've seen very few people who are like, well, Paramount is my is the best for my money. Everybody just seems to be getting everything. But my my point being like that could be interesting where it's like they are focusing on just one specific guild and they're following that guild through everything that they're doing. I think that'd be great. And I think audiences would really like it. They would, you know, there'd be companies that uh, and again, it's. You know, it's just not the business model. Um, but uh, you know, it would be great if there were some theaters that, and of course, this would require. I mean, Steppenwolf is, is is a repertory company in a lot of ways, but they have yep. huge. I mean, they're, they're massive. I'm talking yes. like a medium to small size repertory company. It's yeah. very hard to make a living on that. You know, and you know, we're a nonprofit and we're applying for grants, and hopefully that will keep us going. But some of it is also word of mouth, right? And, mm-hmm. and which is one of the reasons we did Step Nine. It wasn't purely and put it out for free wasn't you know purely altruistic we certainly believe we have a commitment to charging very little but one of the yeah. advantages is we we're hoping to kind of get a word out about us and about the concept of these radio plays uh not just yeah. with us, with other people so yeah. yeah yeah well i i think there's some level of that kind of style happening a little bit specifically like broadway and off broadway i mean you know the I think it was with Hamilton for a while. They'd cycle through uh, who was playing the king, and that was kind yes. of a draw. And right mm-hmm. now, you have that happening with Little Shop of Horrors, where it's like they'll cycle through the actor playing Seymour, but now it's even gone on to who's playing Audrey, and now it's Maud Apatow who was in Euphoria, and that's the draw, yeah. right? Yeah, and they so, do that with Chicago, right? Which has been on, I feel like. Oh since, yeah, since since like since the Ed Sullivan show. Um, it hasn't really. <laughs> Feels like it's been forever, so they constantly yeah. are people in and out. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the new one. Uh, the uh, I think she's playing Mama Matron Mama Morton is Jinx Monsoon, uh, Drag Race superstar, mm-hmm. and and it's bringing in this whole new audience. Mean individually, but as a sentence. <laughs> 
<laughs> you need to deconstruct that, Aaron. Um, <laughs> so I think kind of to wrap this up. Okay, virtual theater. I think there is, you know, as we were suggesting, it's not a replacement, but a supplement, you yes. know, and, yes. and, you know, you could have something like Lincoln Square, not just doing readings of plays, but, uh, you know, gathering these great talents and saying, let's put them in a room and let's make this available for a small ticket price. And people could go, you know, do I think it would be right to have these actors doing this play? And, you know, I mean, put it to popular vote or something like that and make people think that their voice is being heard or something like that. And maybe actually, uh, you know, pay off on that and put those actors in that play on Broadway for a certain amount of time. I think there is that potential that, that virtual theater can have for that. I, I I completely agree. And I readily admit I'm not nearly I'm not being falsely, falsely modest here. I, I It's just clear. I'm not nearly smart enough to figure out exactly all, all the ways in which, or even a lot of the ways in which virtual theater can really maximize its potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I hope to learn a few along the way, but I think that in order for that to happen, a lot of people have to get together and agree that this is actually an idea worth pursuing. And once people yes. have that buy-in, then and and also not view it as somehow competitive with theater because we're not competitive with theater. With theater. It's uh, not. No, and mm-hmm. and in researching this, I saw so many naysaying things about about well, it's not really theater. And I'm going to I'm I'm you know what I'm going to tell you you're wrong because at its core, theater is performed storytelling. Right. I'm sorry, Homer was a storyteller. Therefore, he was a theater artist, even though he did not have a Greek chorus speaking directly to him. He was still a theater artist because he was telling stories. People were fascinated by them. That's it. People put it in their head together, but they listened to him tell the story. Yeah. I mean, in radio plays, which, you know, were obviously huge in in, in a certain time, but they've always been a thing in the United Kingdom. They've never stopped. And no one thinks... No one bothers to to have the pointless debate of is this theater? It's theatrical. It you're right. It's not in the theater. Does that mean it's not you know theatrical or, or dramatic? It is it not a legitimate um, act? You know, a legitimate piece of drama? Of course not. That's silly. No. Um, I I have to say this, and one of the things that I that I read, which was great, was from Rattlestick Theater. The uh, mm. here's a quote from the uh, soon to be former artistic director uh, Daniela yes. Topol. We're a theater company that's committed to access. Maybe it's hard for people to get to the theater, to climb the stairs here, or all of the other physical situations people are dealing with. But we also have audiences from all over the world. We do immigrant artists' work. So we didn't want to turn our back on the expanded perspective that we learned through COVID. End quote. Here, here, I say. I mean, uh... yeah. And here's here's another one, because I... I was thinking, so, okay, so if if you have these naysayers out there saying that it's not theater, then what is it? Here's a great quote that I'm going to kind of close this out on from uh, uh, Pesha Rudnick. I hope I'm saying that name right. And if you're out there listening, uh, please send me correction. Uh, who is the artistic director of the Colorado-based local theater company, had this to say when she was interviewed. I cringe when people say theater is only theater if it's live and in person. 
We are an evolving art form, and I've always been inspired by my colleagues who play within, beyond, and around four walls and a stage. I find it exhilarating that our field was forced to play in the virtual world last year. Creatively and economically, I am excited about what's possible moving forward, end quote. That, that's absolutely right. And it's always evolving. I'm sure there are people who, you know, said uh, when, uh, you know, later in Shakespeare's career, when theater started moving in, indoors, people say, mm-hmm. well, it's not outdoors. It's not theater. That's not you theater. Know? You can't do that. <laughs> the, the groundlings, are you going to have seats for the groundlings now? This is ah, not theater. Come on. This is. This is too sitting intensive. <laughs> for I mean, you can uh, only sit if you're wealthy. Yeah, and that's the way. <laughs> that, that's the only thing that theater is. It's um, yeah. So yeah, of course it's and, I, and again, it, it's the old lament, right? I mean, I'm sure there are people, you know, visiting, you know, Euripides and saying, "God, it wasn't wasn't it so much better 20 years ago?" Uh, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I and I believe that thoroughly. Theater is always on the verge of dying, but it always survives. And because it has to, yes. To, uh, the, this brilliant quote from this woman is: "It has to evolve. It has yes. to evolve. Yes. And it always does. Always finds a way. It but it all, and and it always exists in a lot of different places. I, I, this last fall, I got invited back, and I've talked about it on the show a couple times. Uh, there's a, a post Civil War fort. Uh, or the site of the grounds for a fort about 20 miles from my hometown here. And it was a site of a pretty nasty uh, incident between the Union Army and Native Americans. And the Union Army just got its ass handed to it, very deservedly so. But the attack happened during a full moon. And I think it was during a blood moon. So it was particularly ominous. Mm. And Every year around Halloween, when it's close to a full moon, the current um, overseers of the grounds do a nighttime tour of the fort grounds. And really, there isn't really anything standing. They put up a little bit of a balustrade so you can get kind of an idea of walking through the gates of the fort. But on the other side of the balustrade, it's just open ground. And there are like stakes that say this is where this building was and this is where this building was. So Trident, my company, was hired to do that uh, tour again. We had done it about six years previous and the the new uh, caretaker was like, I really enjoyed what you did and I want to see uh, what you can come up with this year. Mm-hmm. So this is what I did. <laughs> I got one of my very good friends. She's been on the show a couple times before, Jenny Reed. We came up with the story of just how terrifying it was to live on the plains at that time. And it was terrifying. And so we kind of got people that feel we just walked through a couple like little standing living history exhibits. One of them was a field hospital. So inside this tent, you can hear a guy sawing on something. Yes. Oh, it was great. And they were just talking so carelessly about it. It's like, well, he didn't need that foot and throws it out the front flap. And, and you know, people like, Ooh, that's kind of nasty. Then the next setup is a woman who has lost her child on the trip out because the child got sick. And these women are supposed to send back notices of what's going on. So we can publish it. And it sounds really exciting about the travails on the frontier. And we go through several things and we actually had them stop in the dark under the moonlight and stare at all of the topography and realize there could be somebody right there who is ready to kill you and you can't see them and they're there. 
And then finally, we sat them around a campfire and Ooh. told the story of the massive attack that happened. And I mean, pin drop. That's theater. That's theater. It's, it's theater. It's yeah. theater. My good friend, Eleanor Handley, who was one of the co-founders of this theater company, said with me, when we started the theater, because it was originally just started because I we just had Zoom readings as friends every week. And then she described that as setting up a campfire in the dark and yes. telling each other stories. Because at the end of the day, that's what theater is. And talk about connection. You know, it's, I think what some, I think C.S. Lewis maybe wrote about um, readings. We read to know we're not alone. We tell these stories to each other to know that we are not alone. And um, these campfire stories, I mean, that's uh, that's as theatrical as it gets. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, 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 you Minidites. I think it's fairly obvious that Jack and I are 100% for the proliferation of theatrical events, regardless if they are perceived as, air quotes, actual theatrical events, or not. Theater should be accessible to as many as can see it, not just who can afford to see the big cool stuff live. That seems to be the mantra of New Normal Rep. I want to thank my guest Jack Anfora for two great episodes, and my Eumenidites, if you haven't yet, there are plenty of links in the show notes to get you more familiar with the work of New Normal Rep. I really hope you give them a shot. But for now, this is Aaron Odom of Trident Theater in Sheridan, Wyoming, signing off for another episode of Euripides Humanities, a theater history podcast. I'll get another episode to you in another two weeks, and I'll see you at intermission.